This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast with Robert Vore and Steve Austin. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. All right, welcome to CXMH. Uh, I'm Robert Vore and I'm here with my co-host, Wink Dinkerman. How are you today, <laughs> What up, party people? <laughs> uh, that's Steve Austin, Wink obviously. Dinkerman. Wink Dinkerman. Oh, I love it. Feel free to send him messages under that name. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, it has been my best friend and I, Michael, uh, who I call Magic. Um, we have done that as long as I, I mean, 15 plus years, we have made up stupid names on the fly every time we call each other. So. I like it. I brought you into the fold, young Padawan. No, I like it. I like it. The you are the only person who has used on cxmhpodcast.com there's a form where you can suggest, you know, <laughs> topics and things and people have sent us some things but not using that form. So the only person that has used that form so far is you and to I've send done it twice. jokes yep. under fake names. That's right. Which is fantastic. That's what it's there for, I guess. Don't worry, I'll send you another one soon. <laughs> That's great. Oh, well, what's man. been happening this week? Hey, how about that? Weeks, uh, how about the new uh, intro audio that we got on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. So uh, for the listeners, you'll notice kind of as we go, we be- hopefully at least become a little more legitimate or professional sounding, I guess. So we've got some new intro audio, which is fantastic. A huge shout out and thank you to Andy at Long Train Productions for that. If you ever need any audio yeah. work done by a pro, don't call us. Call Andy, longtrainproductions.com. Uh, it's a fantastic. It was super awkward for me to record the intro before <laughs> when I was trying to record it because my vo- I don't have a you know a great radio voice. So, oh uh, man, whatever. Sounds a whole lot better. <laughs> Hey, have you been being kind the past two weeks? You How's know that what? Going? It's going really well. I'm loving it. We've got a uh, the 30-day kindness challenge going on on my site, which is gracesmessy.com. And uh, yeah, we've got a, a private Facebook group where um, people who are participating and are on Facebook uh, are encouraging each other, talking about what they're doing, um, how they're being kind to whoever their target person is. And I just, I think it's really cool. You know, it's, uh, man, we're in some tense times. And uh, so I think the more that we can be intentionally kind to each other, why not? Absolutely. What about you? What's new with you? Uh, not a whole lot, uh, you know, going along class and work and things like that. I was this past week on the Hear Here podcast, which here as in H-E-R-E and then here H-E-A-R. I was on that podcast. Part one just came out. Part two will come out soon. Got to talk with Nate Crawford there. He's a friend of both of ours, was in the Twitter chat uh, that we did a little while back, things like that. And he'll be on a episode that we've got coming your way, but got to talk about faith and mental health and mentioned this podcast, talked a little bit about you actually, you know, mentioned, plugged your website and things. So uh, that was a great time. But yeah, so so that was fun. Really excited about the episode that we have 
today. <laughs> like, I, man, so much fun. The two Sarahs, I freaking love them, and it was so much fun having them on. It really was. So we have Sarah Fader, who runs Stigma Fighters, who a lot of us are probably familiar with, and then Sarah Schuster, who is the editor for the mental health portion of The Mighty. So both fantastic guests, fantastic oh, people. Man. Yes, mental awesome health humans. advocates. Sarah Fader, who is on Twitter more than any other human on the planet. That PS, is fair. She rocks that Twitter game. That's definitely fair. Yep. Well, we, we we had some fun with them. Played a game up front just to get to know them a little bit, and then had some great conversations. So I loved this episode. Loved it again. Listening back through it, editing and all that jazz. So really excited to sh- to be able to share it. Hope y'all enjoy. All right, so today we're joined again, you'll remember him from last week, Steve Austin, who I think reluctantly has agreed kind of to be a co-host on a lot of these episodes, so I won't spend, Don't you a, dare whole say bunch, reluctantly. Won't spend a whole bunch of time introducing him. Steve, how are you doing this week? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited about this episode. I am too. This one's going to be fun, for real. Definitely. <laughs> Uh, We're also joined by Sarah Fader. Sarah is the founder and CEO of the mental health nonprofit Stigma Fighters. She's been featured in the Washington Post, the Huffington Post, Psychology Today, and on Good Day New York. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing well, despite my five-year-old's bout with the stomach virus. But, um, yeah, Um, but, you know, alive and kicking. Yeah. Well, we're also joined, I love this because it's a great big party here, we're also joined by Sarah Schuster. Sarah is the mental health editor at The Mighty, an online storytelling community for people who live with different disabilities, chronic illnesses, and mental illnesses. She's a writer with a journalism degree from Syracuse University and currently lives in Los Angeles. Welcome, Other Sarah. Yes, I am Other Sarah, which is what we refer to as. Well, I think, um, yeah. I think we'll we'll alternate. Whoever I'm talking to, the other one will be Other Sarah. So we, <laughs> we'll be other Sarah. we okay. really might need a nickname situation. <laughs> Nicknames are fun. Oh, you could just call us Fader and Schuster. That's true. Oh, that's fun. It sounds my, like a my, law firm. My college friends used to call me Schuster, so that would be very Schuster. sentimental to me if it was like, yeah. a, get over here, it. Schuster. Your yeah, turn. Get over here. <laughs> Oh, that's okay with me. Fader just went total New York. Did you hear it? <laughs> Love it. Get over here. <laughs> I did. I, I threw out the Brooklyn. I like awesome. Fader and Schuster, though. We sound, it's like Cagney and Lacey, or, or like you, you guys said, a law firm at work. Yeah. yeah, it's either a law firm or like a, a, a TNT drama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Either is appropriate. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. <laughs> Private investigation firm. <laughs> Something like that. I love it. Amazing. Well, I think we had a, a game to get us going t- so we can learn a little bit more about both you guys. Steve, you want to go with that? Yeah, I thought we could totally have a little fun here. We were um, considering Battle of the Sexes, but I thought that could get a little dangerous. So <laughs> we'll do... Ooh, the- that's kind of awesome, though. Okay. Right? We'll do a good old round of old school two truths and a lie. So it's not Ooh. really a game, <laughs> but two truths and a lie. Each of you ladies... Um, can share with us two truths and a lie. And uh, there's a panel of expert judges, um, <laughs> old Bobby and I, yeah. and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll try to guess which one is the lie. So Sarah Schuster, you're up first. I'm up first. Okay, so three spot. things you guys should know about me. 
Um, in eighth grade, I played Gabriella in High School Musical. Um, it was the peak of my musical theater career. Uh, I also um, was a, a childhood finger skating champion. Um, that was my sport of choice, and I, um, I pretty much did that until I left for school. Um, and I also um, was born in Salem, Massachusetts, so I'm actually a witch. <laughs> Those are so good! Oh my god! Wait, is is that's technically that's being a witch that. is being a witch part of that? Like the truth telling part of that? So I feel like I can't reveal that, um, okay. or else we'll give it away. That's um, fair. But that, but part of that that might be uh, a truth lie within itself. I'll just say that there oh. might be uh, a few things going on in that one fact. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I'm gonna okay. I'm going first, Robert. Yeah, um, you're welcome. Uh, so, so Schuster does totally have a singer's speaking voice. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say musical theater is true. I'm okay. gonna say she did that. I don't believe ice skating. Okay. I I think that's your lie. I think she's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, now, Robert, what do you think? I think I'm going to agree with you only because she used the term figure skating champion, which she might have figure skated, but are there, are there childhood figure skating championships? Yeah. Like how competitive is there a playoff system? Maybe there are. If you're a witch in Massachusetts, you never know, you know, it'd be easy to win. Did she just like bippity boppity boot her way to win that? That's the thing. If I was a witch, the possibilities are endless. So it's well, kind of hard. She could have practiced even in the summer because she could just freeze some water with a spell, and then so she had an upper, an advantage there. Gee. <laughs> the possibilities here are endless. All right, final answer, Robert. What are you saying? You're agreeing with me? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Okay, Sarah Schuster, what's the truth? You guys are right. I'm not a finger skating sh- finger skating champion, but I am a witch. Oh! No, but I was I was born in Salem, Massachusetts, um, and so that's yeah. I think okay. I think that just kind of comes with the comes with the right. By osmosis, you are a witch. You didn't exactly. Exactly. Wow. I think I'm a witch who hasn't discovered my powers yet, but I'm waiting. It's gonna that's come. Super you should have to cool. wait for your letter from Hogwarts to come in. The yes, that's exactly. Don't think that. Never. Okay, it. Sarah freaking Fader. It's your okay, turn. I, I've been carefully crafting these these uh, choices. So over the last two minutes. Over the last two minutes, <laughs> okay. I've had some time. All right. I am terrified of the sound of balloons popping. Number one. Okay. Okay. Number two. I played viola in my senior year of high school in the production of Twelfth Night. Mm. Number three, I was featured in Sports Illustrated for Kids when I was ten years old. For what? It was a, it was an article about me and my mom starting a pen pal club. Mm. All okay, those Robert, seem so first. true. <laughs> <laughs> you go first, Robert. Hang on, uh-huh. let me stalk her Facebook real quick. Go ahead, you go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm not sure that you, I believe the balloon one and I believe the Sports Illustrated one because you were pretty quick with the response when I asked about what. So I think the second one. 
God, I'm going to tell you right now, I the little that I know about Sarah Fader, I feel like she's a BSer from way back. <laughs> from way, way back. Um, it's the only reason I, I hesitate just a hair on the Sports Illustrated. Otherwise, if I didn't know anything about her, I would totally agree with you. And I think I'm still going to agree with you, but no, just know I'm agreeing with hesitation. Okay. Okay. What's the uh, last? Okay, so so your final what what is your final answer? The middle one. What was the middle one? Okay, let's let's review. Okay. Okay. So there was I'm terrified of balloons. I believe that. Yeah. Okay. Um, the second one was I played viola in my senior year. Right. That's the line. My senior year of um of high school. And then the third one was I was in Sports Illustrated for kids. Okay, so you believe that I did not play viola? Correct. Yeah. You are correct. I was Woo-hoo! actually the, the understudy for Viola in Twelfth Night. What? Amazing. Can I say something? I yes. was actually Viola in Twelfth Night, Sarah. So when ah! said that, I was like, no way. That's Get one of my choices. Yes, in Twelfth Night when I was a senior yeah. in high school. That's amazing. What yeah. I'm telling you, there's a, there's the a Sarah, spiritual connection. There's the a Sarah, as a witch Sarah connection right now where I think that, yeah, we'll have to discover that a little further the later. Things you learn about people. Gosh. That's, well, yeah, I mean, that's funny. It's, it's, uh, I went to, I went to the fame high school. I went to performing arts high school. So. Oh, see, I went to like a public school in Connecticut. So my role was less, way less impressive. <laughs> no, that's, that's, but that's my favorite Shakespeare play. Yes. Yes. I, same. Wow. Uh oh, my my little my little child is awake. Okay. Oh. Uh, I I will be back, people. I'm just okay. You can Walsh does that. Sarah Schuster, tell us a little bit about the Mighty um, and what it is that you guys are doing. What is it that you do as editor for the mental health portion? Yeah. So um, the Mighty. I'm actually sitting in Mighty HQ right now. Um, before I start my day, uh, we're basically a, a website that holds stories by people who live with different health conditions, so like different disabilities, different chronic illnesses, and then I run the mental health section. Um, so my job is literally to edit and package and work with writers all day. Um, I do a little more too, but for the most part, I'm just trying to get um, all the submissions that we receive trying to get their stories on the site, trying to make sure that they're, you know, that the copy is all good, make, trying to make sure that it has a really engaging um, title and then getting those stories out to people so that they can read it and relate and share. Um, and we kind of do the same process across all different health conditions. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys are both contributors, right? Like it's a it's a fun. I I love my job. It's a really fun thing that I get to do. That I get to work with all these different writers and meet with people who are making a big difference in the mental health community. People who have a lot of things to say. And actually, my favorite thing is actually working with people who maybe like don't have a blog or don't really have a way of like getting their story out there, but they can like write to me this kind of like jobbled like you know, few page piece and then I can like work with it and make it something that people like, like, craft and relate it. to. Yeah. Craft yeah. It. yeah. You know, so here's what I love about the mighty. Cause I have contributed quite a few pieces now. I love that. It's such a great mix of storytelling and, and truth. Not, not that storytelling is, is not truth, but, it, but it, 
the way that the stories are packaged is a way that you're gripped for me anyway from the first line and and you know that it that there's you know there can be statistics in there there might be some some fact you know some factual informational kind of stuff in there but but it's somebody's real life story it's their experience it's what they're you know it's part of their journey and that for me is what sets it apart from a lot of other places yeah, totally. And so, and actually the idea behind the mighty was that it's really easy when you Google, you know, bipolar disorder, for example, it's really easy to land on like a nonprofit or like WebMD and you find all this, you know, information, stats, you know, like causes, symptoms, um, and you get all of that information. And I think that it can be kind of overwhelming when you're been someone who's been just been diagnosed to just like, you know, just be thrown with like numbers. And so the mightiest purpose is supposed to be that when you like Google, I've just been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, instead of finding like, just like a stat list, you also find a story that's like, to the person who just got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Like, this yeah. is what I want you to know. And so that you can actually have a human telling you um, their experience. And obviously, everyone's experience is different. But even to find, like, little nuggets of similarities between your experience and someone else's, um, that has a bigger impact than, like, finding the WebMD or finding, like, the fact sheet, right? So it's, so it's like, it's funny you said that because literally that's what it's supposed to be. Like, yeah, like you know, every once in a while we'll have writers who will do a lot of research, but like, it's really not about that. It's really about like, just tell us like your experience and it's not wrong. And although it may not be everyone's experience, it, somebody out there will read it and say like, me too. And that's like, you know, that's the whole purpose. That's like the point of, um, of, of sharing your story like that. So if, if you know, if, if even like one person can relate to what you're saying, it's like a story worth publishing, um, which Absolutely. is why we publish yeah. a lot of stories where, I mean, it's been, it's amazing how much we've grown since I've been here. Um, you know, it, we almost have too much to publish, but it's like not a bad problem to have. Um, it's still worth kind of getting all those stories out there. Definitely. I'm back, and I just want to agree with everything you just said, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Peter. <laughs> I had three main topics that I wanted to hit and we're already hitting on one of them which is what is the benefit to other people when you share your stories um, and I loved what you said right there about if there's if it's a story that'll make someone feel less alone then that's always a good thing I was looking at there's a a, a study about sharing experience um, that you like lived experience in mental health services and support and things like that and they had some quotes in here from the people that took the study and one of them said this and I underlined it because I thought it was amazing and this person said sharing something that gives someone hope is never a bad idea I will not ever not take that opportunity if I believe it would give someone hope mm, I like it um, Sarah Fader you're back tell us a bit about stigma fighters and why you do what you do so I was, um, for, for the majority of my life, I've lived with panic disorder and growing up in New York and having an anxiety disorder in the early to mid nineties, it wasn't something that we, um, discussed. And I felt like you know, at the time I attended a performing arts high school and I was having panic attacks every day, but I couldn't be open about my diagnosis because I felt like people would judge me as being weird or um, 
even in an arts high school, right? Um, it just, I didn't, I didn't feel like I could be myself. So I had to hide, which made it worse. And um, for the majority of my life, I kind of lived in this, in this, uh, with this secret of having panic disorder and depression. And so when I finally became a mother, um, and I, I started blogging about something unrelated, I was blogging about just being a new mom and kind of adjusting to that role, I started reading other people's blogs and noticed that the the conversation was changing and people were being more open about living with mental illness. And it made me want to come out of the closet. And it was just on, you know, other people's personal blogs. It, was, it wasn't like a, a collective website or anything. And so um, I wrote my story for the Huffington Post about living with panic disorder and, and what that was like for me. And I started getting emails from people and just thanking me for sharing my story and, and wondering if there was a place that they could share their story about living with panic disorder or bipolar disorder or whatever the diagnosis was. So I started looking online for places that, like a centralized location where people could talk about living with mental illness and I couldn't find anything. So that's when I decided to create Stigma Fighters. And I started asking people in the mental health community that, um, that I knew that were open about living with, with different diagnoses to write for Stigma Fighters. And it started growing and growing. And then we just had this kind of flourishing community of people. And then I was then I just started reaching out to people on Twitter that had it in their bio, like openly, you know, living with bipolar or borderline. And um, it was, it was pretty amazing how people were, were so willing to talk about living with these different, um, these different diagnoses. And, and it, it kind of, it also, for me, I, I realized like reading these stories that I had internalized some so, some societal stigma about these things that I didn't even know. And then once I read, you know, like, for example, borderline is a very stigmatized illness, right? And um, after reading some of the essays from people living with borderline, I learned more than I knew before. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, mm -hmm. So... Um, yeah, so then, and we started doing, compiling anthologies, and we have two published anthologies of the stories that are available on Amazon and um, in Barnes & Noble, which is really awesome. And then, uh, it's just been kind of a whirlwind, and being featured in the Washington Post was, I mean, that day was amazing. I cried, because I was so happy to just set, get that message out there. For me, Stigma Fighters is helping people to be able to be their true selves because that's what I wasn't able to do for the majority of my life until mm. my thirties, you know? And I don't want, I really, I want young people to be able to have a voice and to realize their identity, um, sooner than like 33, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's really, that's really important to me. I think it's so cool between, the Mighty and Stigma Fighters, and you know, there's a few other places that are popping up now, but but between both of your sites, the way that when we create this space and and empower other people to tell their stories, right? The the connection that we make with other people, and then that I, I guess just giving people permission to say, 
oh my gosh, me too. You know, for it's sort of what you're saying, Sarah, that that 18, 19, 20, 25, 30 year old that's sitting on the other side of the screen going, oh my God, I didn't know that I could talk about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was that kid, you know, I was yeah. that guy. And that's huge. Um, so yeah, something you said, Sarah, stuck out to me, the, the idea of even asking people to tell their stories about living with mental illness. Um, I found that people are really craving to be heard. And there's not like an official rule that says like, you're not allowed to write about your mental illness, right? But like no one, I think for a while, no one was asking to hear those stories. No one was like, was opening up the conversation for those stories to be heard. So for you to message someone and be like, hey, I noticed you have, you know, you, you say you have bipolar disorder. I want to hear more. I want to hear your story. Same thing with the mighty. Sometimes we, we do these posts where we all collect responses, like for literally from a Facebook post. Um, and you ask a simple question, like if you live with anxiety, what do you want your friends to know? If you live with borderline personality disorder, what do you wish your family knew? And you ask a one, like a really simple question and we get hundreds of answers from people like literally just, just, you know, having an answer, but I've just simply never been asked. So just like ask that question is like a really powerful thing for you to reach out to all those people and be like, hey, like, I actually want to hear more about your story. Yeah. It's valuable. A lot of people have just never even been asked. So it's such a, like a good first step. And then hopefully to empower more people to just, you know, like you did, Sarah, just come out and tell their story, um, obviously, when they're ready. Yeah, I think I think also it, it inspires me to be braver mm-hmm. in myself, right? Because yes. Um, when I, when I ask people to tell their stories and I hear some of the most powerful stories that I've read from people that have, um, you know, a variety of mental illnesses, like are the people that are just brutally honest about things. So, Mm -hmm. um, it, it, for me, you know, growing up and having, um, thoughts about self-harm or cutting myself really scared me. You know, and it was something that I couldn't talk about because I thought there, I really was thought there was something wrong with me, you know, it was, it was really scary. But then reading these stories where people are, are, are talking about self-harm and saying like, and saying the things that go through their head, you know, um, when they are self-harming or suicidal and I'm, and in my head, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not. I'm not alone, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it makes me think of Brene Brown, um, you know, vulnerability expert. And she talks about that very thing that shame thrives in the dark and yes. it thrives in isolation. So when we're on that Island and we think we're the only one, you know, for me, it was uh, surely I'm the only youth pastor, the only uh, clergy member with uh, depression and suicidal thoughts and anxiety. Surely I'm the only one. And wow, what a shameful experience that is. Yeah. But when we start connecting with other people and go, Oh my God, I'm not alone. Not only am I not alone in this little Christian bubble that I'm in, but like there are so many people out here who are saying, Hey, I'm not okay either. And, and that's okay to admit. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's actually, it's so interesting because it's, it's all, it's like the shame um, that you feel kind of exists almost like with your illness, like the nature of mental illness, you're having mental health issues 
actually like feeds on that shame. I don't know if this was your experience, um, but I found that when I personally started sharing my story and realizing that I wasn't the only one who was having, you know, passive suicidal thoughts or passive self-harm thoughts, it actually helped me when I was then experiencing those thoughts, right? Because the shame part of it actually like spirals the thoughts and the nature of whatever you're going through even more. So when I was thinking, you know, when I would think, you know, a passive suicidal thought, the next thought would be, what's wrong with me? Why am I thinking mm-hmm. this? Like the rest yep. of what's wrong with me. And you kind of, and you, and you get yourself into a darker place. And now um, if I have, you know, if that thought crosses through my mind, because I'm in this environment where I know that this is something that happens to people, I'm not a freak for like experiencing this. I can actually change my self-talk and be like, okay, like that was interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. what do I need right now? And it actually, it not only helps me feel less alone as a person, but it actually like, in turn like helps like your mental state it's like that's like the beautiful thing of it it's not just like this fluffy thing where like you want like you know like hashtag relatable content like it actually like I think helps like your mental health to like know that um that you shouldn't have shame around those feelings that you get obviously like that doesn't stop them from happening necessarily but it kind of helps you have tools to work through them when you when well, you don't have to spiral in like a self hating, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, no, I I, com- I relate ex- so much to what you're saying, Sarah, because the those thoughts used to torture. They used to really torture me because of the shame associated with them. But now, when I have, you know, like I I'll, I'll still have them. Like they still they're there's something that happens in my brain because they're intrusive thoughts. You know. Yeah. But having a name to put to them, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think what really helped me, too, is to realize that there is no why. There's no why. Yes. There's Mm -hmm. no I don't have to ask why is this happening? Because that I'm not going to get an answer. Yeah. Getting to that place where you can say, you know what? It just is. Yeah. It just is. And I'm experiencing this and I'm living through it. And it just, yeah, it just is. That's so good. Robert, I am sure that this is like veered from where you wanted to go. <laughs> However, I think what a perfect a perfect group of people to talk about what Schuster just brought up a minute ago in the passive suicidal thoughts. I just wrote about it last week because just two weeks ago, I experienced that for the first time in a very, very long time. Well, very, very long time is relative, but for me, a very, very long time. Um, You know, my suicide attempt was about four and a half years ago. And in this article, I was talking about how nobody tells you when you leave the psych ward after a suicide attempt, nobody tells you, hey, you're going to get better. If you do the hard work, if you go through therapy and counseling and you get on good meds and you see your doctor and you do all this hard work, you're going to get better. But guess what? Suicidal thoughts are still going to come up. But those passive suicidal thoughts don't make you suicidal, you know, quote unquote. Um, I think that's such an important thing to talk about because nobody really talks about that very much. So I don't know if if any of you three want to touch on that a little bit, but gosh, it's such an important topic for people to know that that you can have suicidal thoughts and not be suicidal. Yeah, I will. I felt like um, a lot of pressure with that in terms of explaining it to my therapist, you know, because, um, you know, when you're in therapy and, and you, you know, you, you feel like your therapist ha- has an obligation to, if you're going to harm yourself, like I, I need to know type of thing. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But there really is a difference between just having like an intrusive thought about like, I could just take a bottle of pills, but it's not like you're actually going to do it. It's just, it's just an annoying thought or, you know, I want to cut myself. It's not, you're not going to actually do it. It's just, you know, an unwelcome intrusive thought. And it's, it, that's, there's a difference between having that thought and acting upon it. It's, um, it's a symptom of feeling depressed. Yeah. And on kind of on the other side of it, I don't know that this is the case in all places, but um, I'm in, I'm currently going through a master's program to be certified in counseling. And it's been brought up in, uh, especially my ethics class and things like that, that there is a different, like, it's not a thing where if your client says, hey, I'm thinking about suicide, that's not like an automatic trigger to where you say, okay, I'm calling the cops, I'm freaking out. Like, that's not the case, that there is a difference there and that that's okay. There's like, it's taught that way, at least in my program, that that there is a difference between, hey, if someone comes in and says, hey, I'm thinking about these things, that there's a difference between that and, hey, we need to take steps to to protect them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I, good for people yeah. to hear. Yeah. It's true, but but I think that you know the the big thing to to know when you're talking to your therapist about those thoughts is to tell them I I don't I mean if if this is truly the case I don't want to kill myself I'm just having intrusive thoughts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm being very clear about intent. I think that's, I, I recently went through the crisis, the crisis text line training, and that's a big thing is that just because someone says um, they want to kill themselves, you, you, you ask follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, Rob, you don't you don't immediately call, you don't really, really freak out. You really um, have to get a better idea. And because that what happens is that people, when they're really struggling, um, they're afraid to say something, you know, to be able to say something before it gets to the point where you're like in crisis mode, like that's how you can, you know, be prevent. That's how you can. That's where prevention comes in. That's where it doesn't have to get to the point where now you're actively suicidal and you know you don't have a support system in place or someone you're comfortable talking to about it. Um, I was gonna say, Steve, when you're talking about how people are like hungry to talk about this, like I know that on the mighty at least, um, some of our what our the first story we had about this was called when you're in the gray area of being suicidal, written by this great writer, um, Taylor Jones. And it was the first piece we had about this idea of experiencing suicidal thoughts and not wanting to die. Mm. And the response was out of this world. Like, I believe sometimes it. There, and, and that's why, I mean, it's fine the nature of the internet to get like all this feedback immediately. It's so good for me because I, you know, a light bulb is up with, oh my God, this is something people want to read. And you posted that story. It was like immediately you could see people were really... Like, it was the first time they had heard it explained. I think her first sentence was something like, I'm suicidal, but no, I don't want to die. And that was, like, enough for people wow. to be like, yeah, that was enough for people to be like, like, this, yes. Like, this is how I feel. I've never experienced <laughs> before. And now we have a lot of pieces that explore that idea of passive suicidal thoughts. And it's been, it's been like, nice to have at least some explanation of that. Um, oh, I'm so glad. That's really that, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for the record, this it didn't veer too much off what I because my next one of my points was benefits to others, and then the one under that was benefits to you, which we've talked a lot about there, which is awesome. The way that I've often talked about, uh, I guess, or thought about my not not entirely the motivation for me saying things out loud because a lot of it is for other people, but as far as me needing to do that is that. Um, my brain with depression and things, it's really good at creating lies like for itself. Um, And so for a very long time, like 
not saying them out loud. I was trying to fight them by myself, which I was really bad at. And so it kind of spiraled, like we were saying, it, it spiraled into me believing them, which led to more, right? So um, really common would be like, hey, you are worthless, like you're only hurting the people around you. And so it would kind of spiral into me believing that more and more. But when I say those things out loud, when I write them or, um, you know, call my brother or tell my wife, you know, whatever it is, they get to speak like truth into that. They get to fight that with me and say, listen, you know that that's not the case. And so like, let me help remind you that that's not truth, that that is, you know, your brain essentially lying to itself. And so they get to help speak truth into that. And that doesn't happen if you're not sharing your story, if you're not writing things, if you're not speaking things out loud. That's good stuff. Yeah, it's, I think it's harder to do it by yourself, you know? I mean, it, it can be done, but it's so much more powerful, as you said, Robert, to have the input of somebody, someone else reflecting back that, you know, hey, these, these, this is your brain, you know, rebelling against you. Yeah, and even when I wasn't... Um really talking to people about um, a lot of like the negative thoughts I was having. Um, I was always a journaler and I found that that, although I do think at some point it wasn't enough, even just like getting the thoughts out of your brain, even if oh, you're yeah. just like scribbling, even if you're just like frantically yeah. typing, even if it's like not a piece and it's just like a, a blob of like gush, but it's still like getting thoughts out of your brain. Like that process itself um, has always been extremely therapeutic to me. Um, but I do think it got to the point where, like you said, Robert, like if you're, if your brain is like lying to itself and you're in this like kind of like vortex of your own negative thoughts, sometimes it, it isn't really enough to kind of like give yourself feedback to like bring it out into like the external world and be like, all right guys, like this is what I'm thinking. Like what, what does everybody think? And then to have people who love you be like, oh no, that's like not true. That like, I mean, I think that's like the ultimate, but again, like even just writing itself, um, I hope, I feel like I hopefully more people are discovering it as a tool to kind of just like sort out whatever like thoughts are swimming through their head. Well, I've Schuster. Said, you know, I was just going to say, sorry, Steve, um, that no, journaling, journaling is the cheapest form of therapy. That's what I've always said. And I believe it, you know, because you're able to see clearly what you're thinking and th there's, there's no, your brain can't hide from itself when it's on the paper, you know? Mm. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that I, I think I wanted to say, I, I completely relate to what you're saying, Sarah, um, is that our brains are all different, right? So yeah. it's so hard for us to get context and really conceptualize and understand something um, by ourselves. So when we communicate that to another person, um, we're getting the feedback of someone who sees things differently from us. And that's so valuable. Yeah. Mm. To, to reach back just a quick second to the journaling that Schuster was talking about, uh, there was a study done in 1996 where they had um, college kids come in four days in a row and write just for 15 minutes. Uh, and one group they had write about uh, you know traumatic experiences, their emotions, it, things like that. And the other group they had write about things like describe the room, like, you know, things that didn't matter. What they found was that the group who wrote about their emotions and things that mattered, for weeks afterwards, they were happier than the other, the control group. They went to the doctor's office less, they had better immune systems, and they had better grades. Wow. wow. 
So That's now awesome. I'll ask the all important question. Yes. Because Robert and I have uh, been doing this podcast for um, two weeks now. Um, <laughs> but, but Robert, do you do you like have these studies just in your brain? Like, do you sit and just have <laughs> coffee and like you just have this mental pilot cabinet of studies from nineteen freaking ninety six? Yeah, it's or pretty impressive. You, I mean, you have like show notes where you're prepped with this stuff. Uh, yeah, the second one. So okay, I, I, I went. I was and... gonna be so much more impressed. Don't with the reveal first, your secret. I know. Yeah, I know. you you really should have. You really uh, should. There was uh, a study the in nineteen ninety six. Like what? Where did you just come <laughs> up with that? <laughs> that just reminds me of something that I read. Like he's awesome. just yeah. I recall this 1992 <laughs> university study. It's like 96. I was in eighth grade. What is going on right now? Yeah, I, I was six. So shut up. <laughs> hey, Sarah okay. Fader thought I was British, so maybe I should just say that I memorized all these things and that I was British, and so then I'll be super fancy. Who thought you were British? You do a really good American accent. Thanks. <laughs> I practiced with a. Uh, Hugh Laurie, he, Hugh he's Laurie. also British. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Sarah Schuster, you were talking about journaling. I was. And I, too, am quite a fan of journaling. People um, are like, Steve, I don't know how. Like, you're a pastor, but you're so honest on your blog. I could never be that honest. And I'm like, you should read my journal. No, oh, as a matter of fact, <laughs> you should never read my journal. <laughs> talking about journaling, do you ever do morning pages? Are you familiar with morning pages? I'm not familiar with that. I can kind of guess what it entails, but um, is it just is it is it something official or is it just like writing in your journal in the morning? There are no, there are like there's there's books and you can Google it and whatever. But in a in a very tiny little note, it's my favorite thing in the whole. World. Um, my friend Stephanie Gates introduced me to it. She um she's my editor. Um, you can check her out at awidemercy.com. But it's basically you get up and like before your feet hit the floor, like you can go, you know, have your you can go take care of the very first thing that you need to do when you first wake up. We'll just leave it there. But like <laughs> then you grab your journal and like maybe you brew a pot of coffee, but that's it. You don't watch TV. You don't check your phone. You don't talk to anybody. You just sit down and have just like a soul dump on paper and you just start writing. And it is amazing the thing. Yeah that come out when it's yeah. like your brain's just waking up and you just start scratching it out. It's so good. That sounds like something Ooh. that I need. Cause every time, and I, I've never, I, I mean, I haven't thought about it like that, but anytime I had a second to write something down in the morning, I always feel better going into work. Mm -hmm. I always mm -hmm. have a clearer head. I always feel like I'm walking in with like less like trash, like swimming around my brain. Um, oh. And that's a good reminder because I'm trying to like, kind of like nail down like good routines before I walk into work. Um, I've been, you know, I've been, I've been trying to meditate a little bit, but it's hard to nail down something, um, especially when life just doesn't always allow for a routine, but morning pages, I'm going to yeah, check it out. A good, a good new year's um, goal. It sounds like there you go. That sounds awesome because you probably are still like reeling off of the subconscious thoughts. From yes. dreams. Oh, yes, let me tell you, know? you, I mean, there's some stuff. If y'all have brains and like <laughs> Austin, there's some stuff that will come out, but it's like, Oh my gosh. Like, where did that come from? There. Yeah. It's incredible. And I pray to God, nobody ever finds those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's, and it's for you though. Right. And that's the whole oh, point. Yeah, and then, absolutely. and then, and then sometimes what happened when I was writing journaling a lot more, I would find that like, within like the mess maybe there's like one line you're like 
that's like, you know, that's kind of good. And you maybe, you know, like maybe I'll write a piece based on that, but you kind of had to like get through all the other stuff that was happening in your brain to like maybe get that one nugget of an actual idea that can turn into something or maybe it doesn't turn into anything. And that's also okay. But morning pages, go check it out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, writing, writing without judgment too. It's just mm-hmm. writing and, and not judging every line. I mean, I think, before I was on medication, my brain was like swimming in garbage all the time. So um, it was really important for me to journal because it was, I I, like every thought I was fighting, you know, Um, it was really difficult for me to function. And um, I mean, thank you, medication, antidepressants are awesome. Um, (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) They really are. Right. Um, But yeah, I, I feel like that journaling adds that clarity, you know, to your, to your thoughts. And, um, but I, but I was actually thinking about what you were saying, Steve, about being, um, you know, people saying, how can you write that? Or, you know, or, um, being brutally honest on paper. And, um, sometimes when I'm journaling, even the thought comes to my head and I'm, I'm afraid to write it because it's so Mm. raw. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and just that 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 struggle internally of thinking this very scary thought or this very raw thought and being like, oh, my God, that just came into my brain. And, and dare I write it down can be really yeah. scary sometimes. Yes. <laughs> dare yeah. I embrace the darkness. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but then when you do, you know, if you, if you challenge yourself and you do write it down, I mean, I, I found that it's it's very empowering. You're like, Oh, that actually wasn't so bad. I mean, totally. It, you know, like yeah, it, actually, it's it's just a thought. Yeah, I found that actually during the times where I've been um, maybe struggling the most, I actually have a hard time journaling. And I think you actually, the way you said it, I think kind of explains my thought. Like you almost like you're when you're kind of like so not in a good place. I didn't even want to face the thoughts that I was having on paper when, when journaling was used to be, I I remember thinking when I was like, you know, you're in middle school and you're in high school. And I remember journaling used to be something that came so naturally. And then suddenly when I was experiencing all these challenges, even though I probably need it the most, it's like, it's harder. It's harder to, to to like, to let free when you, when you're so like constricted. I've actually only recently been trying to like, not be so afraid of my journal and pick it up again and try to like be writing things down. But I'm kind of, that's like a recent thing of the kind of like trying to embrace it as something in my life because for a while, yeah, I couldn't even, couldn't even like face my thoughts that way when that had been forever. Oh my God. Yes. I had dealt with. I think you just go through different phases, but um, for sure, yeah. That's 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 actually what you. I completely relate to what you're saying, Sarah. Like that's how I feel right now because I'm going through um, a period of depression. So (laughs) the last thing I want to do is write shit down. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to see it. I don't want to look at it. I want to just hide under the bed. You know, but I know that. I know that it ultimately it'll feel better. It's like when you don't want to take a shower when you're depressed and you're like, oh, showering is disgusting, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then there's all sorts of shame associated with that. But like when you're depressed and you make yourself right, you, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. And you actually end up feeling better. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me, let me ask this because all of us are in spots where, uh, we can write a lot of things about about these types of things and share our stories pretty openly. But for a lot of people, 
uh, that is not the case, right? There's a lot to be said for when you're sitting down to write something and you want to share it, but you immediately, and this still happens with me, you think through, what if my boss reads this? What if my in-laws read this? What if, you know, there are, there are people who are in situations where that isn't possible. How do you yeah. decide when it's a good idea to disclose things, right? Because we, we all agree, the more people that are talking about these things, the more society as a whole shifts towards it being okay to talk about these things. But uh, there's large chunks that aren't there yet. How do, yes. Where's that balance? Such a good question. And that's the thing, as much as you want, of course, everyone to be open up mental health and we should all be talking about this. Um, there's also that very like realistic, like you said, like stigma still very much exists. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who say, I have a story, but if my boss finds this, I actually think my job will be in jeopardy. And I think that the key is that there's no timeline and that if when you're ready, you're ready. And if you're still not ready, there are other things you can do besides blogging. It doesn't have to, you know, what we're talking about journaling, sharing your journal, you know, maybe writing a piece and like sharing it to your significant other, writing a piece and sharing it to your mom, whoever you think needs to see it. Um, not everything. I mean, we're, we live in such a social world, but not everything you create has to be shared online for it to be a valid thing. So I think people who are maybe still uncomfortable or in a situation where they can't, you know, have a blog um, to share their story, there's still, you could still create the story and then to share it people who you can share it with. I think that there, there's still a lot of personal value in that. Um, and also, I mean, there's also ways to share your story without putting your name on it, right? Like it's a mighty, we let people published under first name, last initial with no picture for that very reason. So give people go the option. Go old school and come up with a kick-ass pen name. Yeah, or there yes. You know what I mean? Like, so whether, whether it's not online, whether you're doing a pen name, um, I think that that should never be, I don't think that, I don't want to say an excuse, but like that, that shouldn't hold someone back entirely. I think that if they really feel like writing and sharing their story could benefit them, um, there are ways to do it that aren't like plastering your picture and name all over the, you know, you don't have to like brand yourself to share your story. Um, it could just be as simply as writing someone a letter and like, you know, putting it in their mailbox just to be like, this is how I'm feeling when I'm depressed. I feel like you should know this. That's, you know, that stuff I, also helps. Yeah, I, I agree, Sarah. And also I, we have a ton of anonymous stories on stigma fighters. Mm -hmm. um, like you were saying you do first name, last name or, I, I feel like one of the most powerful stories on stigma fighters that we have is an anonymous piece called once upon a time I was raped Ooh. and it's so t sorry, trigger warning. Mm. Um, and it is so, so powerful, so raw, so real, and nobody will ever know who wrote it except for me, wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. But it's, but it's a story that needs to be told. Yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, Steve, let me ask you, in a church setting, how much harder or easier or how do you navigate that when wanting to push forward with um, challenging stigmas, sharing stories, things like that? So basically, wow. Um, okay, Robert, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, church. Good Lord. Um, for me being on staff at a church, um, 
This is the first time, you know, with age and maturity, hopefully those two go hand in hand, not always, but with age and maturity, you, I think you care a little bit more, at least about the people who matter. I care far less than I ever did about the people that don't matter, but, Mm -hmm. but my pastor, for instance, um, if I'm going to share some like really, um, dark or controversial or, um, I I don't know if I'm going to share something that, you know, that, that might make, um, you know, sister Christians hair stand on end, then, um, there have been, I think two different pieces that I have said, Hey, you know, want to tell you about what's going on. I'm about to write about this and just want to give you a heads up. I'm not asking for permission, but I am just saying, Hey, just, just a PS. Um, so I think you can do that. I don't think you have to do that. I don't think you owe anybody an explanation for for your life or for owning your story. But I think you can certainly do that if you feel like it's appropriate. Um, the other thing is is what I said a minute ago. It's learning who matters and learning who just doesn't. Like there's so – I go back to Brene Brown. There's so many people in the stands who are – you know, up there in the arena looking down, but they're not fighting that fight with you and they don't get to have a say. They just don't. If all they're going to be is judgmental or opinionated or whatever, but they're not in the trenches with you fighting that fight with you, they they don't count. My my boss at work at my, at my day job, um, who is like a I mean, she's just like a mentor to me. She's amazing. Sue, um, Sue's about to turn 70. She's about to retire, and she's one of the wisest people that I've ever known. And the way she says it is, if they're not sleeping with me, and if they're not coming to my funeral, I don't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. To only I, live like that. Yeah. Right? That's, that's amazing. <laughs> so, it's so true. So, that's, I don't know, that's my two cents. I'm going to get that Care on a throw pillow. And the people yes. That <laughs> yeah, I think that's good. I want a, I want a T-shirt. I want a T-shirt. Yeah. See, we should get all that. <laughs> a funeral. I don't give a damn. That is the best thing ever. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I hope that answered your question. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think it did. Um, okay. The last thing I wanted to point out is uh, there's there's a lot of research about this about the uh, the effectiveness of people telling their stories versus, you know, general educating about mental health issues or things like that. And uh, the phrase they use is contact, which is when a person with a disclosed mental health condition and a member of the general public, like, know each other and when they, like, interact. And it is, uh, all the research points to it being, like, by a pretty long shot, a more promising strategy for reducing stigma compared to educational efforts, protesting, you know, the use of whatever, whatever. Um, by like a pretty long shot, people who know people who are sharing their their mental health stories, things like that, um, are way more likely to have less prejudiced attitudes or, or worse opinions about things. So it it does matter, it does work as far as the research is concerned, which I think is a an important point. Before we yeah. go, either Sarah or Steve, any last thoughts you wanna you wanna share? Man, you know, I would just say the to reiterate what we're we've talked about owning your story. We've talked about sharing your story um, for the last hour because it matters. Because once you do, once you find the courage 
to own your story and and then get to the place to share it in some sort of a public way, you know, that's a process. It takes time. Don't push yourself. Don't jump the gun. But when you get there, nobody can take that from you. Nobody can take the, the, the internal fight that it took to get there to say, you know what, this is my experience. This is who I am. This is what I've been through. This is what I'm going through, whatever. This is me, the real me with the mask taken off um, in as much honesty and vulnerability as I can show you. This is me laid bare. Uh, Man, that is life-changing, not just for you, but for everybody that hears and experiences your story with you. It'll change your life. Yeah, and I think that I just want to say just... I mean, Steve, like I was going to almost reiterate that um, about how if you're scared uh, that there's so many people um, online, this amazing community who are willing to support you. Um, but I also just wanted to say that, you know, we, we talk about sharing our story, I think, because we, we're all used to it. Like it's something that happens maybe easily. And I still, every time I publish a blog about myself, I still feel the repercussions of that. I still feel so much anxiety. I still feel, you know, like like kind of weird for a whole week. Like it's still a really hard thing to do. And I don't know if it necessarily gets easier. You kind of just get used to the eventual payoff of like, okay, like I'm feeling like this right now, but I know that when those comments come in, I know that when I'm seeing that people are relating to my story, that that's going to be a really meaningful thing. So in no way is it easy. Um, but I think that the when you take that first leap and when you start doing it more and more, um, it just it, the, the benefits become more obvious um, and you see that it's really worth it. And you guys are amazing. I mean, I the mental health community that I kind of like stumbled into when I started working for the mighty. Um, it was so easy because all those stories were already out there. Um, mm. and I consider you guys are almost like the people who like before me, like kind of like, you know, like trailblaze their way, um, through the internet to make all these blogs and all of these, um, I don't know all of these stories possible. So, uh, for but Sarah, hesitant. we're not the ones starring in the Facebook video with 40 bazillion <laughs> million views. Wow. Uh, yeah. What? Um, I, I may be a Facebook video star. No, oh my but, God. but re- regardless though, um, it's not, I mean, but thank you. But again, like that, that video, like I, like I, I, even if it's doing well, I, I, it's hard for me, you know, it's still like a really yes. hard thing to, to deal with even your story, like, you know, even like a success is also kind of like a, a personal thing I still have to work through because of whatever, like, cause my continuing journey. Um, so it's not easy, but the mental health community is, um, online. We're very, we're very loving. And if, especially if you're not finding support, um, kind of where you are, um, there are a lot of people who are willing to kind of embrace you uh, via the internet when you start sharing your story there. So it's a, yeah. it's a lovely place to be truth yeah well if you want to connect with any of these folks sarah fader you can find her at the sarah fader on social media or sarahfader.com or you can check out stigmafighters.com sarah schuster you can connect with her at sarah e liz tweets on social media or check out the mighty.com steve austin you can find him at i am steve austin or at 
imstevaustin.com, gracesmessy.com, gracesmessybooks.com. He's got a million websites. They're all great. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> you can find me at Robert Vore or robert-vore.com. Thank you guys so much for being here. It's Thank you. Absolutely loved it Thanks. having you guys. Rocking conversation today. Definitely. Thank oh, you. you everybody should also, by the way, read Steve's book. It's really amazing. Oh, hmm. I love you with my whole heart. Thank Wait, which you. one? Which one? He has so many. Shut which nowadays. one? All of a sudden, it. it was like, shut it. How how did that happen? Where you had one book, then suddenly you had like five. It happened yeah. so fast. Just three, just three. Just <laughs> um, I had I'm, one I don't before wanna... I had the one. The one, like the first one, the writer's toolkit, which is kind of what we've been talking about today, owning your story. Had yeah. been there for a while, and it just sort of, you know, hung under the radar. Nobody really, nobody wanted that book, apparently. But the, I yeah, wanna, I guess I, I don't want to like butcher the title, so I, it's the one from Pat from Pastor from, to Psych Ward. From Pastor, yeah, from Pastor to, to, to a Psych Ward. Yeah, yeah. The Amazon best-selling book by Steve. Oh. Right. <laughs> and well, I, I tell still, you, yeah. you know, I love it. But the new one would be perfect for January. If we're giving shameless plugs right now, Self Care for the Wounded Soul is a 21 day self care journal. And my goodness, if you're doing some kind of a New Year's resolution, oh, take care of yourself. That's the one you need to do. That's true. That one's great. Oh, I have to check that out. I still stand by the fact that Steve's voice is an antidepressant. Oh, <laughs> that's fair. Sarah, I smile every funny. time. Thinking about getting on this um, conversation today, I thought about you and I thought, Fader's going to have something to say about my southern accents. And I love that, it. Um, let down. It's a uh, natural antidepressant. I'm telling you. <laughs> That's so awesome. Uh, let's right. bottle it and prescribe it to people. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Man, there's our new business plan. I'm telling you, we could make millions. Oh, that is funny. That's incredible. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys. We closed this like a Southern Baptist preacher, Robert. That was a a 12-minute close. It's true. (laughs) I'm just going to stop recording at some point, and then I'll do like a slow fade out. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Slow fade. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note, if you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.